Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Great to have you with us here on Money FM 89.3. This is Market View. I'm Michelle Martin. Let's look at the market action and break it all down for you. Good morning, Ryan Huang. Good morning, Michelle. Looks like a lot of waiting and seeing versus just looking for something to happen. Yeah, it looks like markets are down ahead of that decision. Let's start the morning with the latest hot new tech IPO, which certainly is not down. I'm talking about Instacart. We talked a little about this on the show yesterday. The online grocer was pricing its listing at 30 US dollars a share. Well, the moment the stock started trading on NASDAQ, they popped, jumping to a peak of nearly $43 within just a couple of minutes. So the question is, how did Instacart shares do after that? Yeah, so it had a pretty good start, a blockbuster start in fact and this saw a jump to around prices that would have put it around 30% higher and then it started to lose some steam, closing the day up by 12.3%. So that, I suppose, is not a surprise. The initial demand driving through from how we saw a lot of people going for the IPO which saw Instacart raise its range for its pricing from 26 to 28 to eventually 28 and 30, and then price it at the top end of the range. So that gives you an idea of how much appetite there, w- there was for the Instacart IPO. So the question now is, what's going to happen next? Mm. Where you have started to see some people take profit and the initial investors starting to take money off the table. And at the after-hours session, the extended trading moves are showing that Instacart is down slightly. So perhaps there is more downwards momentum to come. And if you take a page out of Arm Holdings, they had a pretty good day one as well. But in the subsequent three days, they have been drifting lower. So perhaps it might go down that path as well. They have been drifting lower, Arm. And if we have time, we're going to get to that. Instacart, was co-founded, by the way, by Apurva Mehta. He is currently all of 37 years of age. She handed over the role of CEO just a little over two years ago. And he stepped down as the company's chairman as part of the IPO proceedings. I'm pretty sure he's smiling this morning. He has made more than one billion US dollars from Instacart's IPO. Ryan, CNBC's Jim Cramer says he's torn on whether Instacart is a good investment. He sees both a bull and a bear case for this stock. Walk us through what he's thinking. Yeah, it's a classic how you want to read into the numbers moment. So on one hand, you've got a compelling story to be bullish long-term perhaps because you have an IPO or a company here that is making money. And when it comes to growth companies these days, many of them don't actually make money and then go for IPO. Here is one that is profitable. If you look at the net income in the first half of this year, it made $242 million. That's not bad for a company involved in online grocers, also quite asset light when you think about it. Mm. It depends on other supermarkets or stores. It doesn't have to hold any inventory. So there is a compelling story there. But on the flip side, what might argue against that story is growth appears to be slowing down. And the revenue for the second quarter was 15%, down from 40% from the prior year. So perhaps the 
profitability has come at expense of growth? So that is the question here. And then you also have Kramer uh, raising the question, how much window dressing there was before the IPO? Because typically, when you want to file your prospectus, you're going to dress up nicely and put your best numbers forward. So you don't exactly know to what extent some of the furniture was moved, so to speak. Now, what sort of numbers were being massaged before those IPO prospectus numbers were put forth to the public? So you've got that in focus as well. And then the question is, how much momentum can continue um, if these numbers are sustainable? So that's the decision that I think investors will have to make. Well, we know part of where those profits came from, from for Instacart, you know, it can cost consumers up to 15 to 20% more uh, when they check out those carts because of product markups. Uh, Instacart has a good brand name and its business is strong, but I wonder if after doing the mats, um, and you also raise this in terms of momentum, whether it's growth could be slowing down. What do you think? Which side of the fence are you on when it comes to Instacart? Yeah, if you're an investor, should you add it to your cart? So (laughs) that is a tough one right now because if you cast your mind back to the past few years, we had the pandemic and people were shopping online, that could be one reason why Instacart was riding a bit of a wave, a bit of a growth wave, so to speak. And then people were just jumping on Instacart. And the way Instacart works is you can buy stuff from your neighbourhood Local grocery chains is not tied to any specific one. So it's got their reach. At the same time, it might just be a matter of time before someone else comes into the mix and then becomes an Instacart 2.0. So the barriers of entry, so to speak, are not that high, I imagine, for someone to take on Instacart. So there is that risk, I guess, as an investor, that you might have to take into account. Um, Competition and also to some extent, the profitability, how much more are people willing to pay that markup for? You mentioned 20% shopping online. Yeah. Maybe down the road, they might feel a pinch and say, hey, I'll just take a walk down the street and buy my groceries. Or you know, maybe the grocery chains themselves might offer cheaper delivery options. So a lot of question marks around your Instacart decision. Yeah, and future profitability. I mean, if the competitor finds a way to trim those transport costs and is a very lean provider, it could eat into those margins. Uh, we turn now from online groceries into the world of media and entertainment. The Walt Disney Company making news this morning because Disney is reshuffling its business strategy and its assets. It is looking to divest away from media properties while doubling down on attractions. Let's start on the media side of this equation. In the US, Disney is in talks to sell ABC. It's one of America's big four national networks. In India, it's in talks to sell its streaming media and its TV business as well. So who are the potential buyers here? Yeah, so Disney seems to be rethinking its broadcast strategy, perhaps just to focus on the stuff that really makes money, at least prioritize it for now. In India, you have that playing out because it lost the rights to stream cricket, which is a big deal in India. So without that crown jewel, it is not making that much sense right now, perhaps for Disney to still be in that competition. So now there are reports that Disney could be in the mix with Reliance Industries, which won the cricket rights, um, to sell its streaming business to India's richest man, Mukesh Ambani. So that is a potential buyer, but it is early stages of 
negotiations, it might or might not play out um, in terms of uh, conclusion. So something to watch out for in India. And for ABC, Disney is in discussions to sell it to local broadcasting group Next Star. So another sign that perhaps is trying to focus at home, at least in the US, or more profitable parts of the business. It is going to double down on its investment in its parks division. Florida probably cheering that one on. Uh, this to the tune of about $60 billion over the next decade. Now, while Disney is scaling back on the media side of its business, Disney CEO Bob Iger appears pretty keen to uh, scale up the theme park, even the cruise side of the Disney business. So what is the latest here? Yeah, Disney is doubling down. That is a headline. So you've got it doubling down to tune of $60 billion over the course of 10 years. So a lot of money is going to be piled onto theme parks and experiences. I think it's an acknowledgement by Disney that this has been what's making money and they want to invest in it long-term and you need to you know, invest in it long-term to make money long-term. So this is where some of the parks are seeing some bright spots, especially international parks. And tourists are going back and doing the third quarter. The theme parks division saw a 13% increase in revenue to $8.3 billion. And with all the IP that it's got, you know, it's trying to introduce some of the IP to capture new audiences. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be part of the plan here to try to refresh some of the stuff that is perhaps a bit dated. And I think that's especially the case in its US theme parks, which has not been as strong as its international theme parks. So a bit of a slowdown in attendance and also in, in its hotel business, a bit of a slowdown there as well. So I imagine that $60 billion will do some good towards refreshing the attractiveness of his um, products. Yeah, I was in Disney about five years ago. I was actually astounded. Some of the rides looked dusty to me. You know, it just lacked that excitement that you expect with Disney yeah. of like magic and technological innovation. It just seemed really old. I was in Disney Disneyland in LA earlier this year and it looked the same as it was 30 years ago. It's a small world ride, goes through the same journey with the same song that keeps going on and on a lot of rides are still the same maybe that's the magic some people want to stay the same you know, go back into time so to speak and relive your childhood but of course there is argument how long that can continue for and then you need to draw in that new generation mm. those who did not grow up with those cartoons you know, the Marvels and the Simpsons maybe even so new stuff needs to come and happen in the Disneyland theme park. Yeah, I wanted to interact with the characters in a new way. New technologies I mean, there was as well. one ride that was great. It was a magic carpet ride and you literally could smell the sea that you were flying wow. over on your magic carpet. That was pretty cool. But, you know, that was the outlier. I wish there was... It looked like it needed a refresh. So, what do you think? Do you think these investments, $60 billion over the next decade. Do you think this is, is going to boost Disney's profits and also Iger's legacy? Yeah, so there is a lot for Disney to sort out. But I think we have to bear in mind that Disney actually turns 100 this year. It is the 100th anniversary for Disney. And they've actually been able to reinvent themselves to some extent, you know, bring on board the streaming business. And then they acquired 
stuff along the way, including Fox, which owns The Simpsons, and more IP. They also acquired Marvel. So they've got a lot of IP now. So I imagine there is a lot of potential for them to milk the IP. And we've already seen that happen with the Marvel Universe. And I imagine there is still a lot of room for it to grow on the front as it tries to introduce these elements from the streaming side to the parks side. So the Disney blueprint is probably going to keep it in good stead for the next 100 years. Yeah, I'm sure it's still going to be around in the next 100 years. And the magic carpet, uh, carpet ride, I hope, is still around. I know the castle Classic. backdrop will be. Uh, investors sold off on the news. Disney shares fell si- how much? 3.6% overnight. They're down nearly 25% over the past year. I'm going to turn to broader markets right now. Investors treading cautiously ahead of that U.S. Federal Reserve decision. We're expecting that this evening. The Dow fell 0.3%. S&P 500 and NASDAQ were not far behind. Inflation is in sharp focus, especially with Brent crude hitting a 10-month high this week. It is now trading close to 95 US dollars a barrel. Still, most analysts don't expect the Fed to raise rates at this September meeting. Neither do the majority of my guests that I've spoken with. Ryan, what will you be looking for when Jerome Powell meets the press after the meeting? Yeah, that's a pretty good overview of what to expect. No changes, uh, but there are a couple of things that are brewing. And one of the big areas is energy prices. You mentioned oil. Prices have been creeping up in recent weeks. And that's a potential factor that might put more uh, consideration by the Fed or the FOMC into how inflation might play out because that will play into the cost of living and also how it impacts the economy perhaps down the road. So that is a potential factor for them to take more seriously into account. But not so much in this latest meeting that will be coming out in the next 24 hours. Maybe down the road, we could be in for a rate cut or at least another rate hike. But maybe next year, I think that is what is in focus, the dot plot where Fed officials are going to be projecting their view of the economy and to some extent how strong it is or how weak it is. And then with that view how much of room there is for the Fed to start cutting rates because it needs to normalize rates eventually. And the question is, when will the economy be positioned in time for what they outlined previously? Four rate hikes, excuse me, four rate cuts was what was projected back in June. Will they now have to pencil in fewer cuts because of what's been playing out with the um Inflationary pressures, you mentioned oil prices among them. So that's going to be one of the things to watch out for if they will cut back on rate cuts next year and maybe leave rates higher for longer. I agree with you. Lots of waiting involved. Markets seem to have been in a holding pattern, sort of waiting for the Fed to act. So do you think we could see some breakout action now? If I am looking at markets, it does look like they are just marching on their spot right now, keeping a watch for a potential catalysts. Uh, worth noting, 10-year bond yields have been slowly creeping up, up, up six basis points to 4.366%. That is near 
16-year highs. And these yields have been supported partly by rising oil prices and perhaps some of the stronger-than-expected US economic data in recent weeks. Though those data points have been raising expectations or at least concerns about inflationary pressures, those problems reviving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have looking at markets... They are pricing in a 99% probability that the Fed will leave rates unchanged. And then if you look at a November meeting, that is when there is a chance of another rate hike. So previously, we had a 30 or the 41.1% chance of that happening. Now it's been cut back to 30.8%. So that's um, the market reaction right now. A lot of waiting and seeing, uh, but some... Um, upside risk of where inflation might go, which could leave rates higher for longer. Markets might be standing on the spot, but we're moving either up or down. Time for corporate news. Let's start with Intel. Up or down, Ryan? Yeah, I'm going up for Ah. Intel. And this is with how Intel has actually held an event overnight. Uh, Pat Gelsinger was on stage, the CEO, doing push-ups. His usual signature push-ups before he makes a big announcement. And that big announcement was the Meteor Lake processor. And it's being described as the biggest change to Intel chips in 40 years. So that's how significant the industry is looking at this new product launch that is due end of December. So among the things is Mm. how there's um, AI capabilities on this chip, which will mean your laptop in future, will be able to run your AI chatbots, chat GPT. You don't need to run it through a cloud data center. So you can bypass that uh, requirement, which will just give developers and also consumers more accessibility to these AI-powered software. So that's one big thing that is looking good for Intel, I guess, in time to come. Yeah, you want to run that AI chatbot on your laptop because that means more privacy uh, potentially for you, less leakage of your potentially secret data out into the cloud. Intel is launching that new chip which will allow that AI chatbot to run on your laptop rather than the cloud. Would seem like good news, but Intel was one of the worst performing blue chips on Wall Street overnight. It fell more than 4%. Investors focused on the here and now. They are looking at Intel's data center inventory rather than the promise of what is to come for this company, which of course looks amazing. But for today, at least, it's a down for me for Intel. So you got two views there. Let's look at Starbucks. All right, Starbucks is going to be an up for me. And they are splashing the cash in China with a $220 million plant, which has what's being dubbed the Coffee Innovation Park in Shanghai. And this will include a roasting plant and distribution center. So this is actually the largest investment Starbucks has made outside the US. So it's quite a big deal, I imagine, for Starbucks and its vote of confidence in China. Yeah, Starbucks doubling down on its China business with that $200 million coffee innovation park that will spring up outside of Shanghai. I'm going to be looking forward to that. I'll give this an up as well for Starbucks. Hong Kong stocks. All right, Hong Kong stocks, I am thinking is an up because you've got bargain hunters out right now. And these bargain hunters are companies. Hong Kong listed companies are buying back their stock amidst the 
what's being described as the world's worst performing stock market, Hong Kong right now. And at these cheap valuations, companies are thinking, hey, it's time to buy back some of these stocks um, that are perhaps undervaluing my company and I want to stock up on these things while the price is right. As prices drop, the repurchases start to ramp up over in Hong Kong. The Hang Seng Index is down 9% compared to the start of the year. It is trading about 40% below its pre-pandemic levels. Hong Kong companies see value, uh, share buybacks surging. So definitely an up for me for Hong Kong stocks. Currently, yep. one of the world's worst performing markets. You know, our friend Willie, Willie was there recently. He ah. did a little trip around Hong Kong. Yeah, a bit of a roadshow for him. So the scale of those buybacks, 3.9 times higher in hmm. the past five years um, versus the prior range. So that's the magnitude of the interest right now from these buybacks. Yeah, and uh, Willie jumping on the contrarian view as well um, when it comes to Hong Kong stocks. Let's look at Comfort Delgro. Okay, comfort is an up for me. They can take some comfort from rising prices that they can charge in future because bus fares and train fares are going up. And thanks to that, they can rake in more money to the tune of $11 million at a group level for ComfortDelgro. Yep, starting in December, commuters, you'll pay an extra 10 to $0.11 cents per journey on buses and MRT rides. And listing these fare hikes are going to be good for ComfortDelgro's business, potentially increasing its profit by $11 million. So that is an up for ComfortDelgro, but a down for those of us who have to fork out those high fares. Mm. What about SingPost? How's it doing? Yeah, it is pretty much the same story. Prices are going up for stamps. And this is quite a hefty hike. 65% increase from right now. The stamp is 31 cents for the first local mail to 51 cents. And it's worth noting it is the steepest hike. I think it's not the first time it's hiked prices, but the past has been moved up slowly in small increments. Now, I think it's a bit of a sticker shock here. Going to be licking my stamps, feeling quite wounded these days. 65% jump in postal rates. Investors bid up Singpo shares on the news. It closed up 2% yesterday. So for ComfortDelgro, like ComfortDelgro, I'll give it an up for Singtel as well. But down for those of us paying more for stamps. Thank you very much. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Stay with me here on Your Money. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.